Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. So, I'm trying to think of where I want to start with this. Let's go ahead and, 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 and hit the Dylan Campbell audio. So we got some Dylan Campbell audio. We got some, we'll, we'll save the David Pierce audio for later, but I want, I want to hit this Dylan Campbell audio real quick. Courtesy of uh, Roger Wallace. Roger talked to Dylan Campbell and David Pierce last night uh, after the game, and uh, this, is, this is Roger's interview with D.C. Honestly, I don't even know. Um, I mean, like you saw, it was just just Mother Nature. I mean, it was a twilight sky, and me and EK couldn't see the ball um, off the bat. So, I mean, that was just very fortunate on there and that it happened like that. Um, I mean, I don't. I guess we just got to move forward, I guess. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it now. It's over. Uh, you feel so bad for him, man. He had in... in in the annals of school history, Dylan Campbell's 2023 is going to be one of the better seasons a Texas outfielder has ever had when you look at the totality of it. A 38-game hitting streak, first-team All-Big 12. Should be on some All-American teams. I don't know if he will be, but uh, you realize after last night, 26 stolen bases Jeez. for Dylan Campbell? Yeah, just just a tremendous season, and I really hope that people don't remember it for he and Eric Kennedy not being able to find a fly ball in the twilight at Sunken Diamond. You know, I, I, I think uh, I've thought a lot about this game, Cam. I thought about it last night. thought about it when I woke up this morning. And it really, I, I'm supposed to be neutral. You know, like we are got that big J journalistic integrity, right? We're supposed to not be homers. But, man, I, I just felt numb. Like, man, this, it was such a great, I mean, that was three days of high-level grown man baseball. And to have it end like that, it was like, it's like a great movie with a horrible ending. It's like, no, no, it can't end like this. It's like the way The Sopranos ended. Like, dude, that really, that's how you're going to end this this great series, this great epilogue of shows, this great this great lineage. It's just how, it's how it's going to end. It's going to end like this. And that that was the worst part for me is that that series that super deserved a better ending. Yeah, and that's no fault on anybody. Again, I'm not placing blame on anybody. That's not Dylan Campbell's fault. That's not Eric Kennedy's fault. It's just one of those things, man. As a great man once said, "That's the way baseball go." So now you start to look at the totality of the game, though. And I think if you're a Texas fan, you've got to appreciate the fight that this team showed coming back twice from a three-run deficit, and you got contributions from different people throughout the lineup, man, throughout the series. Uh, you know, Jared Thomas came through uh, with some big hits. We talked about Kennedy. We talked about Dylan Campbell. Mitch Daly just uncorked a home run that I didn't think he was capable of hitting in game two. And Jack O'Dowd came through with two doubles last night. So up and down the lineup, you got contributions. You come back from two different three-run deficits. But I, I think at the end of the day, Cam, this is what it boils down to, man. And and when you lose a game the way Texas did, this is kind of what you're left to think about. Yes, you think about that play. You think about the the Alberto Rios thought it was a home run, wasn't a home run where he's on second base. Uh, you think about some of the, the, the walks you issued, some of those self-inflicted wounds. Uh, and I wrote this in, you know, you can go get my game recap at Horns 24-7. Uh, Texas pitchers combined to issue six walks. Through two wild pitches, one of which, one of the very few mistakes Zane Morehouse made in his outing was a wild pitch that scored a run from third. Uh, they allowed the leadoff man to reach base in seven of nine innings last night. Yep. And then you go offensively, Texas stranded 11 runners on base 
went three for 12 at the plate with runners in scoring position. They had plenty of opportunities to increase their, to take a lead, increase a lead, build a lead, and it just didn't happen. And when you don't do those little things throughout the game, man, eventually it adds up in the end, and it just added up to Texas not being able to do enough to get out of Palo Alto with the win over Stanford. So, Cam, I'll ask you this. Go at the start of the season, Craig and I talked about this, and we kind of were setting the bar for. And and I understand. I no, trust me. I've been covering this baseball program for over a decade. I've been following it, watching it my entire life. I understand full and well the baseball program at the University of Texas has at times unrealistic expectations, but they're expectations that are rooted in in a history of winning and winning at a very high level. I think other than men swimming and diving, that's the one sport on campus that I think can live, you know, like, you know, okay, I would talk about in football camps, some Texas fans just have unrealistic expectations of, of what Texas is and what Texas is supposed to be. Everybody wants Texas to win, but you, you, you get what I'm saying, right, Cam? Mm-hmm. You, you following me? Uh, men swimming and diving and baseball, I think, are the two sports on that campus that you can live in that rare air. You can live in that stratosphere because that's the standard that has been set over a long period of time. So knowing that, full well knowing that, Going into the year, knowing it was going to be a real rebuilding year, I said, you know what? If this team gets in a position to where the, a legitimate position to where they can host a regional, then it'll have probably been a pretty good year. And had they not gone two and barbecued in the Big 12 tournament, they, they probably would have been hosting a regional. But to get to the Super Regional, to be tied in the ninth inning with Stanford, the top eight national seed on the road, in a year where you win a share of the Big 12 championship, that's a good year. But both things can be true. It can be a really good year for this team and a good year for this program, but as a fan, you can still be disappointed because as a Texas fan, your expectation is, look, Texas is, I think it's now, Texas has been half of the College World Series that have been played. Your expectation is that the season should at least, at the very least, end in Omaha. So you can be disappointed that it didn't end there, and it's certainly disappointing that it didn't end there, but you can also take stock of the fact that, look, compared, given what you thought this team was going to be at the outset, you can say it was a successful year. I don't. I just hate, Cam, looking at sports as being just a complete binary thing. It is this or it is that. It is black or it is white. It is a win or it is a loss. There's a lot of gray area in that. And, oh, dude, the Scream at People shows are going to be talking about yeah, this fly ball. Yeah. Dude, just... Texas fans, just turn turn your TVs off or at least mute them because you're not going to want to listen to this hot garbage throughout the morning. Well, I'm, not, I'm not talking about myself talking. I'm talking about the Scream at People shows because some of the stuff that comes out of my pie hole can be hot garbage at times. But I digress. Where do you come out, Cam? That's where I come out. It, it You can say it's a disappointment because Texas fans expect to, at the very least, make it to Omaha. But, man, I, it's, it's a year where you, you can't say this was a failure of a year. It was a... Maybe not a great year, but just a a good year for this program. Right there with you. I I said at the beginning of the show, I thought the ceiling for this team was a super regional appearance. And the fact that in game two, you at one point had a lead over Stanford. In game three, you came all the way back and you were an out away, a fly ball away from going to extra innings against number eight team in the country who has probably one of the best Batting orders, I think, in the country, Jeff, I mean, all nine guys absolutely rake. They rake. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the stat of seven of nine guys getting on base. 
And they were, I mean, the start of the game against Sander Witt, they were hammering, hammering what Witt was throwing off of him. Which, by, which by the way, can I, can I just say something please. on that real quick? You know, I'd like to think that the, the people that text into our show and listen to our show follow Texas baseball on a pretty regular basis. But then you get to last night, and, and to Twitter's such a cesspool anyway. You get on the Twitter machine, and it's people that haven't watched baseball most of the year until the last couple of weeks. Why are they starting Tanner Witt? He's terrible. Why are they starting Witt? Why are they starting Witt? Okay, genius, Casey Stingle. <laughs> look at that lineup and tell me, look at that pitching staff and tell me who you're going to start in game three. You could have started Stelly, but Stelly threw 71 pitches on Sunday. You weren't going to start him. Nope. Okay. Could you have started Morehouse? Maybe, but he's been so good out of the bullpen and in an all-hands-on-deck situation, you've got to save him thinking, hey, if we got a chance to win the game or we need three critical outs, he's at the point now where you can trust him to an extent to come get those three outs. You know you had Geno available for an inning or two, depending on if the pitches were high-stress pitches or not. What else were you going to do? Who else were you going to run out there? And that's what hurt Texas so much this year, Jeff, is that Coach Pierce needed Tanner with the pitch, and he probably he wasn't. You know, he's not where he was last year. The, no. the Philo is the Philo's not there. The movement is there at times, but the Philo's not there. But he was being called upon to be your game three starter because Pierce could not rely on anyone else. The v, with with what the Velo didn't didn't concern me, and it's not really a concern. It's just more of an observation. I didn't think the lack of Velo was as much of an issue for Tanner as much as it was just. He just couldn't consistently control his breaking ball. Yeah, you know when when he did, man, when he when he could control that curveball, it was it was a wipeout pitch for him. Mm-hmm. But we saw it in Coral Gables, and we saw it last night. They're just too many counts, and you get into two strike counts, and you're trying to put guys away with that breaking ball, and it's just it's in the dirt or it's it's run away from guys. It's and they're not they're able to pick it up and not chase it and take it. It it just it just wasn't working for him on a consistent basis. The, the Velo will get there for him. Like he'll be, you know, I'm sure once he gets drafted, and I don't know if he's going to pitch again this year, but you know they'll get him with their the team that drafts him will get him with their medical staff. They'll make sure he's good to go by 2024. He'll get back to 94, 95 where he was before for sure. But that's I think when you're coming off TJ, and I, again I asked David this before the season started, and he said the guys that he's been around that have had Tommy John. The, the last thing to come is just that ability to just not think and just let it rip where yeah. you're not thinking about the elbow anymore. It seems like Tanner's still kind of at that point, uh, and I think trusting himself to just rip it, trusting himself with the breaking ball, that's kind of the last step he needs to make. It's just it's one of those deals where he's just not going to do it at the University of Texas because uh, he's going to get drafted and probably get drafted somewhat high because he's, he's got stuff that good. In the Specs text line, it's, it's like 70-30 split about this is probably one of the best years coaching-wise that David Pierce has done. He's earned, you know, I fully believe he's a man for the job. Now, there's also that 30%, Jeff, where it's like, how how can you use the term rebuilding year as an excuse knowing that you have guys, you know who's going to be leaving at the end of the year? I'm just curious. Where do you fall back on, on the rebuilding year knowing that after last year you come out that College World Series appearance and you knew, like, okay, we're probably we're gonna, we're going to lose some heavy hitters, but we're still probably you know one or two bullpen guys because that's what hurt the bullpen right was Aaron Nixon just completely went off the map in the College World Series last year ends up transferring has a great year but you knew going in you needed more bullpen guys 
and it felt like this season still was kind of the same issue. Your bullpen the last two years, last last year, your bullpen regressing, and like in the case of Knicks and some guys imploding, that caught that that lineup last year was good enough to go win you a national championship. Hundred percent. That last year's team frustrated me a lot more than this year's team ever did. Like I thought last year, I'll be I'll be point blank honest. I don't think David Pierce did a great job coaching last yeah. year. Yeah, that team was so talented and could do so much damage on offense in so many ways. They were able to overcome a lot of mistakes, and that's not even that's before we knew that Murphy Staley was going to have an All American season. Mm-hmm. I mean, we knew Melendez was going to have a big year, maybe not the kind of year that he ended up having. I don't think anybody could have predicted that, but the Hodo Arduan. Faltini, even though for some people Stacey struck out too much, he was still a really good player, really talented player. One of the reasons you had one of the maybe the biggest reason he and Arduan that you had the best defensive infield in the country last yeah. year. But that team was so talented, it could overcome a lot of mistakes. It could mask a lot of your deficiencies until they just couldn't anymore. Until you know your two starters ran out of gas by the end of the year and you had really nothing else to go to. A little bit Jared Southern's year last year kind of reminds me of Zane Morehouse's year this year. A guy that you look at him unquestionably has great stuff. Just can he put it together on somewhat of a consistent basis? And by the end of the year, Souther did, but he was one of the very few guys that you could count on out of the bullpen last year. So your bullpen last year, I think, cost you a chance to go win a national championship. That is the thing that disappointed me the most with this year's team is, you know, you parted ways with Sean Allen, you brought in Woody Williams, you brought in some JC guys, you had an offseason to develop guys, you said things were going to change. And we still pretty much, by and large, got the same results out of the bullpen. Yeah. With the exception that Morehouse was lights out in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So taking all that into consideration, yeah, I, I think, and, and you know, I don't, okay, so going, I'm kind of all over the place, but going back to the rebuilding thing, it's, it's hard to talk about rebuilding years in college sports when you have the transfer portal, but I did feel like last year, that was the window. the The window was open for for that brief time for that core group that left: Melendez, Arduan, Hodo, Faltini, Pete Hansen, Murph. Going down the list, you know, some of those guys that had been with you that got here in twenty twenty in that off season after going twenty seven and twenty seven. Last year was the last year for that core group of guys. That was kind of that was actually my my. Uh, advanced column leading into the college world series mm-hmm. was how good that group had been. And this was, this was it for them because you knew most of those guys were going to get drafted and signed. A lot of them had already graduated. So it was going to be the end. So I think it was just rebuilding from the standpoint that you had this great group, a national championship caliber group and the window had closed. So now you've got to figure out, okay, well, what is the next group? What does this next wave look like? And at Texas, you're always going to get talented players, but can you get enough young, talented players that are ready to contribute and mix that in with your portal additions, with JC additions that can contribute? And maybe you can look throughout the lineup and maybe you'll find you a guy like a, like a Peyton Powell that just needed to get healthy yeah. and, and find a spot on the field. So it was a, yes, you can term it a rebuilding year, but rebuilding years at Texas are, are very different than some other people's rebuilding years. Not every, I mean, some people would love to rebuild and say, oh yeah, we'll bring in Jalen Flores and, and Jared Thomas. And we'll, Charlie we'll, Hurley. We'll yeah. yeah, you get Gary Goodman. And then, honestly, this this is why I'm not I'm not too worried about next year because we'll talk about this in hour number two. I know a lot of people have questions about who's coming back, who might leave. We'll we'll get to this in hour two, but 
I'm not really worried, Cam, about whatever holes they have to fill in terms of position players, because whether it's whether it's been Cam Williams or Mike Antico, Skyler Messenger, Gilmet, Porter Brown, even Tanner Carlson. Tanner Carlson was playing really well until he broke his forearm and missed the rest of the year. Got hurt in that West Virginia series. And he still has, he has a year left, right? I think Carlson's done. He's done. Yeah. Okay. So I know yeah. Ek's done. Ek's he's been done. here for five years. Yes, uh, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, yeah, five years. They got used the COVID okay. year this year. Um, Porter Brown's already graduated, Yeah. So, and then the guys that are going to get drafted. But David Pierce and his staff, dude, their evaluations of position players in the portal have been really damn good. Like, I don't think they get enough credit for that. On the other hand, the JC additions and the portal additions to the pitching staff – have left a lot to be desired. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm David Pierce. Keep doing what you're doing, and I, don't, I know Philip Miller's pretty heavily involved, working the portal and, and helping on the on the the player ac- talent acquisition side of it from his off field role. If I'm David Pierce, I've really got to figure out what where is the disconnect. Craig and I talked about this a few weeks ago. Where is the disconnect between you and your pitching staff, yeah. where either Either you're not teaching it the right way, the the players are incapable of processing the information. Like what? Like where is? Figure out where that disconnect is and fix it. You know that's that's tough. We we've seen it in multiple sports. Coaches, managers, whatever, trying to figure out that disconnect and get it fixed. Some there's a chance you might not, but that's to me is the biggest thing you got to figure out in the offseason. Find figure out that disconnect and fix it. Do you think the the firing and then the hiring of Williams kind of hurt Texas in the portal going after pitchers? You know, with players not really knowing who the pitching coach was going to be. Well, I part of it. I also think too, and this is easier said than done. I was, you know, there's some fans that, you know, and I, granted, when I say some, I'm talking about a very very small percentage of the listening audience. You're like, man. Talking and, and fan, I hear I see it on the flagship message board at Horns twenty four seven. Fans talk about well, we need to pay more in terms of nil. You got to <laughs> understand how nil works. This isn't CDC sitting at his desk with a checkbook and him and David Pierce sitting down in like SMU style making a payroll. Like it's not how it works. Like you got to get the collectives and there's different things you got to do. And who knows where nil is headed now that now that the God help us all that the U.S. government's involved in this thing. So who knows where the hell it's going to mm-hmm. end up? But I think from a baseball standpoint. Cam, the best way to, to help maybe get some quality arms in here, especially through the portal, you got to take stock of your NIL situation, figure it out, and see what, what needs to be done to help out. Because you can't tell me that there aren't Texas baseball supporters that have some pretty deep pockets that are willing to do whatever it takes, get with a collective, be a part of one, and help get some talented players in here. Yeah, I think you look at what RT's done and what Chris Beard did the year before the transfer portal, mm-hmm. I think you got to follow that same path because, you know, with tech, with recruiting in baseball, unlike basketball, like these kids still can, you know, they're waiting until the June, the July 9th draft to figure out whether or not, you know, am I going to go, am I drafted high enough? What's that signing bonus going to be? How does it compare to the NI deal? Because some of these kids, you know, maybe they want to go to college, but they also, you get offered a six, seven-figure signing bonus. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, I'm, I'm going to take it. In and your... that hurts your recruiting. Yeah. And you've also got guys, Lucas Gordon will be in this in this group, Dylan Campbell's in this group, uh, Porter Brown. There's a couple of guys. Got, basically, if you don't take the money 
this year, you're going to lose all of your leverage if you come back to school. Yeah. And then it's kind of, hey, whatever you're offered, even if you're a top 10-round pick in 24, man, whatever you're offered is what you're offered, and there's really no room to negotiate. Mm-hmm. you got all your leverage now. That's why, man, I think the guy in the best position, honestly, man, is LBJ. Because LBJ's got two more years left. So he, he can come back and, and come back in 24, get picked in the 24 draft, and still have some leverage. Maybe not as much as he has this year, but he still has leverage in 24. Uh, but I think he's in a really good spot. But that's that's the tough spot for for DC and Geno and some of those other guys that are that are third year guys that could come back for one more year. If you come back, your your leverage will be non-existent. So uh, I know that's a lot to digest, uh, but we'll keep we'll keep processing it. Specs text line is open three three seven three seven seven six. We're gonna need to have a specs text line cleanup at the top of hour two because it's been popping been, this there's morning. Been a lot there's there's some takes. There's some words being said, in the and, and, some, and some good, some good stuff. I know, you know, sometimes we we talk about the bad, but there's some really good stuff coming out on the specs text line. Some really good stuff I've seen on the flagship message board at Horns twenty four seven, and and even I've seen some level headed takes on the Twitter machine. Believe it or not, you just gotta you gotta wait, you gotta you know wade through the trash, dig through it, but you'll you'll find a few gems in there at times.